Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local off-site backup storage solution. Contact us today. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Never say never, but never. I plan on leading this team with an unwavering standard. Everybody love everybody. We will call it the golden standard. And this is the standard that will drive this football program to its 12th national championship. With Sean Styers. I like that guy. Hey, what you could do is, is you could have a barbecue on that it's head. a good time, you know what I mean? On Sports Radio 960 AM, double. WSBT. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's bare chested and banging his chest. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. And now your host, Sean Styers. How we doing today? Welcome to Friday. Welcome to April for that matter. We start a brand new month as we come to the end of the road. This is going to be first weekend since what probably, man, I don't even know, maybe this time last year that we don't have some kind of local sports to broadcast this weekend. It is the rare occurrence, but uh, we're a week away from the start of baseball season, which means South Bend Cubs season opener. One week from today, when the Cubs host Quad Cities, there will be fireworks after that game. One week from tonight at Four Winsfield, blankets optional. But uh, speaking of baseball, some baseball news Today, um, White Sox making a little trade, shipping Craig Kimbrell, closer, and his big salary to the Los Angeles Dodgers, who, of course, you know, they're, they're, they have not seen a salary that uh, they're not willing to accept, it seems like, with their big budget. But uh, the Dodgers sending back outfielder A.J. Pollock, Notre Dame alum, who, uh, you know, when he was at Notre Dame, started his career as a third baseman, moved to the outfield, and Turned that into his trade professionally with first the Diamondbacks and then the Dodgers, helping the Dodgers win a World Series a couple of years ago. And they've just got, you know, so, again, an overabundance on that roster, so much depth on that roster. And uh, they needed some help on the back end, the Dodgers did. I don't know that Craig Kimbrell is the answer. He was not for the White Sox, but was not the Whites used in a closer's role for the White Sox when he came over from the Cubs last year but in any case White Sox fans got a new outfielder after after the uh, injury to uh, Andrew Vaughn now you've got AJ Pollock uh, potentially playing right field for the Sox this season you know he's a little bit older he's had some injury history but when he's healthy he's been really good and I think right field a good place for him and that ballpark a good place for him to hit I think he'll have a uh, a good offensive season for the White Sox as long as he is able to stay healthy. But as far as us, you know, just because we don't have any local sports this weekend, that doesn't mean we don't have sports because, come on, it's Final Four weekend. Yes, indeed. After all the madness, all the upsets and Cinderella's, hats off to 15 seed St. Peter's for that historic elite run. Of course, the last of the Cinderella's and congratulations, by the way, to now former Peacocks head coach Shaheen Holloway. He parlayed that Elite Eight little dance into a new job at a substantial pay increase. Just see what he's making. He he made around three hundred thousand a year at St. Peter's, and after being hired by his alma mater, Seton Hall, this week, Holloway's going to be making a reported two point four million bucks a year over the next six years. Not bad. That's what beating a two seed to three seed in the span of a week. We'll get you. So Shaheen Holloway leaving St. Peter's. And uh, he again, he played at Seton Hall, point guard there at Seton Hall, and back leading his alma mater now. But uh, three teams survived upsets. Kansas, the only number one seed to make it to New Orleans. And the final four, a pair of two seeds, Duke and Villanova in there. And, of course, number eight seed, North Carolina. Closest thing to a Cinderella, but hardly a Cinderella considering it's a blue blood, you know. But uh, the number eight seed Tar Heels beat number one seed Baylor in the second round after they beat a nine seed in the first round. Then they beat a five seed and, of course, 15 seeded St. Peter's on uh, on their run to the final four. Duke's biggest upset scare, probably Michigan State in the second round. Michigan State had them on the ropes, couldn't quite finish them off in the second round. And uh, here's Duke once again in the final four. Creighton and Providence. 
each pushed Kansas in the second and uh, third rounds, you know, the Sweet 16. Uh, but Kansas able to move on. They they tussled for a half with Miami, but uh, polished off Miami within about the first four or five minutes of the second half in the Elite Eight to reach the Final Four. And then Villanova fought off Ohio State, Michigan, Houston had some scraps with them in their last three games to move along, but at a cost, losing their second leading scorer, Justin Moore, to a torn Achilles. So you've got three Blue Bloods and Villanova in the Final Four. And I know, you know, the whole Villanova, you know, there's that debate going on about whether or not they're a Blue Blood. And look, we had this conversation earlier this week, but I'm sorry, Villanova, not a Blue Blood. They're a program that's been really successful in recent years, but they are not a college basketball blue blood because blue blood implies a pure bloodline of royalty. And using it in reference to college basketball programs implies, if you say they're a blue blood program, you're talking about a line of college basketball history and tradition that comes with that program. And we're talking about... Kansas, we're talking about Duke, we're talking about North Carolina, we're talking about UCLA. I still think Indiana's probably in that equation, but again, because of their recent lack of success, that kind of hurts them a little bit. And I'm sorry, it, that that tradition in history is just not there for Villanova. I mean, just look at it like this. The most famous player from each team from the four schools in the Final Four this weekend, Kansas. Who would you say it is? Wilt Chamberlain, no doubt. I mean, there are others, but Wilt Chamberlain sits at the top of the heap. North Carolina, duh, Michael Jordan. Again, a lot there, Michael Jordan. Duke, I mean, there's a case for, again, a lot of different guys. Grant Hill, hard to to not go with Christian Leitner, though, just because Christian Leitner holds virtually every uh, Final Four NCAA tournament record in terms of field goals made, you know, free throws made. All that different because again, like he came from a different era, four year guy, and and all that. I think I'd have to put Christian Leitner at the top. I mean, Grant Hill, you know, Bobby Hurley in that mix. I mean, you know, again, there there are others, but I think I'd put Christian Leitner at the top. Again, you have you, you have a lot of guys to choose from if you're Duke, North Carolina, or Kansas as well. Villanova. Okay, you're sitting there listening right now. Tell me who Villanova's most famous player is right now, off the top of your head. Can you do it? Who is it? Ed Pinckney? <laughs> Josh Hart? <laughs> Dante DiVincenzo? <laughs> I mean, their most famous team is the 1985 team. They were a number eight seed, and they upset Georgetown to win the national championship. I mean, Pinckney, Dwayne McLean, Harold Presley. They all played a little bit. In the NBA, Raleigh Massimino was probably the most famous figure in Villanova basketball history, followed by Jay Wright, I, I would argue, right now. But again, we're talking about a Cinderella team, uh, what, almost 40 years ago now at this point, and recent success that Jay Wright has had. What, what did they have in between Raleigh Massimino and what Jay Wright has done right now? Not a lot. Not a lot at all. Sorry. Villanova's not a blue blood. I'm sorry. They're, they're, a, they're a currently successful program, but they're not a blue blood college basketball program. By the way, here's one you can use at parties, or at least when you're watching hoops with your friends, drinking a few buds this weekend. James Naismith invented basketball, also Kansas' first head coach. Fog Allen played for James Naismith, follows him as head coach. Allen Fieldhouse, named after Fog Allen. Dean Smith, the former North Carolina coach, played for Fog Allen at Kansas. He's actually from my wife's hometown, Topeka, Kansas. But Dean Smith played for Fog Allen. Larry Brown played for Dean Smith, leads Kansas to the 1988 National Championship. Of course, he coached a lot of other places as well. The well-traveled Larry Brown. Not to get, you know, off my story here, though. Roy Williams. Played for Dean Smith at North Carolina. Assistant coach for Dean Smith at North Carolina on his first, first national championship team. Followed Larry Brown as head coach at Kansas and ultimately coached North Carolina to three national championships. Also, Bill Self, current Kansas head coach. 
He was a grad assistant on Larry Brown's 1988 National Championship team. So basically, Bill Self, Larry Brown, Roy Williams, Dean Smith, to Fog Allen, back to James Naismith, to the origins of basketball. Direct ties right to the game. That's blue blood right there. I mean, that, and the, like the, the intertwining of those two programs right there, Kansas and North Carolina. Bottom line, we've got the final four, both men's and women's for you this weekend. Starting with the women tonight in uh, Minneapolis. Coverage starts at 6.30, a little bit more than an hour from now here on Sports Radio 960 AM. 7 o'clock tip-off, South Carolina, the number one overall seed. Heavy favorite, eight-and-a-half-point favorite against Louisville. Jeff Walls, the Louisville coach, does not like that. He's mad that ESPN didn't talk about him this week, you know, like they did UConn and and uh, Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon on PTI picking South Carolina to play the winner of Stanford and Connecticut. But, you know, I mean, whatever you think about Jeff Walls. Stanford, Connecticut, by the way, at 9.30 tonight. Stanford's just a one-and-a-half-point favorite, the defending national champ but you remember those comments way back when that Muffet McGraw made about ESPN being the uh, network of Connecticut and carrying Connecticut's water she didn't necessarily say it in those terms but Connecticut you know ESPN being the network of Connecticut you know again like look at what Jeff Walls is saying they had Gino on PTI this week they didn't have Jeff Walls or any either any of the other coaches on PTI this week talking about the women's final four but they sure had their good old boy Gino on there tomorrow and I realize you know he's won national championships and all that but it's been a while since uh, they've actually been to a national championship game with all these consecutive final fours they've been to I think it's been what six or seven years since they actually went to a championship game UConn men's final four though tomorrow in New Orleans Kansas four and a half point favorite against Villanova that's at 609 then at nine o'clock Duke minus four against North Carolina Public service announcement for you. The men's games are going to be televised on TBS, as in the cable channel, TBS. They are not on CBS this weekend. But we've also got the women's championship game Sunday night at 8, and then the men's championship game 920 Monday night. Right now, FanDuel Sportsbook has given new customers a $150 instant bonus guaranteed. You'll get $150 in bonus site credit, and all you have to do is place your first bet of 5 bucks or more. How you bet the bracket's up to you, but you can choose from the money line, point totals, prop bets, and much more. I like both Duke and Kansas, given the points in tomorrow's semifinal games in New Orleans. So join FanDuel today with my promo code WSBT. Place your first $5 bet to score $150 in bonus site credit guaranteed. That's promo code WSBT on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. 21 plus and present in Indiana, first online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable site credit that expires 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat is brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this bunch for you. Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. Tim Growl State Farm Insurance, saving money on home and auto insurance with Tim. Serving both Indiana and Michigan, call 574-232-9981. Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana, hunger's a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. And Wings at Center, a grill and pump with 14 Michiana area locations. Stop in today or order online at togo.wingsetc.com. Former Notre Dame and Hall of Fame baseball coach Paul Maneri joins me next to talk about the 20-year anniversary of his 2002 Notre Dame College World Series team on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Paul Maneri having a final chat with Joe Thaman before Joe steps into the batter's box. Notre Dame trailing 3-2. The Irish have come from behind 21 times to win this year. Can they do it for a 22nd time? Turn on the Jets, Steve Stanley. Back to the wall it goes. Steve Stanley will slide in safely with a one-out triple. And Notre Dame has the tying run at third base. Goldman lines it up the middle and the game is tied. We're tied at three in a brand new ball game. Breaking ball. Slam to right. That one going back. And it is.
Well, it has been 20 years since Palmineri led Notre Dame to the College World Series, and uh, that, of course, was uh, part of that uh, fantastic ninth inning against the Rice Owls in an elimination game at the College World Series in 2022. And uh, happy, as always, to be joined by the one and only Paul Maneri. How are we doing today, Paul? Well, Sean, let me tell you, listening to those radio calls from 20 years ago that you did still brings tears to my eyes and makes my body go numb, I'm telling you. <laughs> Seems like it was just yesterday, some of the most special Man. moments of my personal life, I can tell you that. It does. I mean, it's like when when the calendar flipped around and I went 20 years, it's, it's like, it's, I mean, and it's got to be, that has to happen to you all the time as 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 many teams as you've coached and as many different players as you've worked with, I'm sure you've got to just kind of sit there every now and then <laughs> and think the same thing, you know, just like, where did it, where did all that time go? Isn't that the truth, Sean? I mean, at times it makes me feel very old, but uh, <laughs> I tell you, I, I was the luckiest guy in the world to do exactly what I wanted to do with my life for 39 years. I got to be a head coach in college and, those 12 years I spent at Notre Dame will always be the most special time of my life, taking that team to the College World Series. Really, not even just that one year, you know, the, the years leading up to that, the four years with Aaron Heilman and Danny Tamayo and Alec Porzell, they were not able to be a part of that team, but they sure felt like it. Brant us, Alan Green, the years before, and then the years after, you know, that we just had so many wonderful kids. And uh, every time I think about those days, it just, like I said, brings a smile to my face, and I just feel like the luckiest guy in the world that have had the privilege of, of being the baseball coach at Notre Dame for 12 years. Well, and that's, you know, I think that because that team got to the College World Series, that's the one that we always think about. But there were guys on that team, and, and we've talked about this before. I, I had you on back in the summer right after you retired, and we talked a little bit about the uh, the Notre Dame team, of course, last year that, that went to Starkville, Mississippi, to, uh, to play Mississippi State in the Super Regional, and your team in 2000 went there, battled their way into the championship round, came up a little bit short. You got to host a regional the next year in 2001, end the season with the tying run standing at third base in that game. And, and so 2002 was, was a culmination of a lot of things, wasn't it? It really was. And, uh, you know, we finally were able to kick the door in fact I was playing golf this morning with somebody and I and I told him that you know even though uh you know we we went to the World Series I think the most special moment of the year was when we won the Big East tournament and beat Rutgers in an extra inning game in the championship game right. because it really got the monkey off our back you know we had had so many good teams won the regular season championship made it to the finals of the t conference tournament had a heartbreaking loss here and there and, you know, you just felt like, you know, when are we going to win this conference tournament? And I feel like when we won the tournament that year and we beat, beat like I said, we beat Rutgers in 10 innings when Stavisky hit a ball in the left field corner and Solman scored from first base. Yeah. I felt like, like the, the gorilla got off our back. And from that point on, our players just played so relaxed and confident. You know, we went to, uh, we hosted the regional not only did we beat Ohio state twice, but we sandwiched those wins with probably the greatest, single game performance of any team I've ever coached in my life when we beat South Alabama 25 to one they were the number one seed you remember that game I'm sure Sean oh, we had absolutely. 32 hits and and only gave up one hit Grant Johnson pitched a one hit complete game we had 32 hits yep. including 14 for extra bases and seven home runs and we you know we zipped through the regional and then of course we went down to Tallahassee where we played the, the unequivocally number one team in the country on a 25-game winning streak, and we beat them twice down there and uh, went to Omaha and then had that great win that you described with some of those radio calls against the new number one team in the country, right? So, you know, at times I think back, and, I, and I, I'm really kind of upset that we didn't win the whole thing because those kids had some special qualities about them, and Unfortunately, we had two heartbreaking losses to Stanford out in Omaha. But yep. what a year and what what an era, really. Well, 
you know, you mentioned that Big East tournament, and I was trying to think because again, you had never won the Big East tournament before. You had you'd finished first in the regular season and, and had regular season conference championships. I, I'm I was trying to remember how how confident did you feel that you were even going to get an NCAA bid if you didn't win the Big East tournament? Oh, I felt very confident we were going to get a bid. Uh, I mean, we started out the season nine and ten, right? And that's kind of of our starting lineup was hurt. I right. mean, Thaman was hurt, Solman was hurt. We lost two shortstops and had to put Javi Sanchez in it at short, who hadn't played shortstop even in high school. Right. Andy Bushy was hurt. Paulo Tool was hurt. Brian Stavisky was hurt. Uh, the only guys that weren't hurt were Stanley, Kenny Meyer, uh, I think Chris Bill Meyer, and only because the, those guys played so great that we were even nine and ten. I remember Sean. We were on the bus heading to the airport at O'Hare to fly to Omaha, and the writer from USA Today newspaper called me to do an article about the Irish, and he and he asked me. He said, "What were you thinking? Were you thinking about Omaha when you were nine and ten? <laughs> and, and I said, "You want to know the truth of what I was thinking?" And he said, "Yes." I said, "I was really happy we had won nine games at that point. <laughs> we were the walking wounded. I mean, if Stanley and Kenny Meyer." And Chris Billmeyer weren't playing out of their heads. We, we wouldn't even have won nine games. But we had some horrific injuries. And then finally, when everybody got healthy, after that 9-10 and 10 start, we went 41-8 and eight the rest of the way. And by the way, after we won that Big East tournament in 2002, we ended up winning five straight, which had never yeah. been done before. But once we, it was like once we got the monkey off our back and knew what it felt like, you know, we went to that Big East tournament every year and, and won it. And and so we never had to sweat out Selection Day for the NCAA tournament. Paul Maneri with us, the uh, former head coach of the Notre Dame baseball team, just retired at LSU last year after a Hall of Fame career and, of course, led the 2002 Notre Dame team to the College World Series and reliving the uh, the 20th anniversary of that, some memories of that. What There were so many, you know, Steve Stanley was the Big East Player of the Year and All-American that year, and you rattled off a bunch of those other names what what was it do you think how was that team able to have that kind of resolve and turn things around the way they were able to that you were just described there well first of all let me say this sean i thought the 2001 team was the best team i ever had yeah aaron Hellman was a senior and he went 15 and 0 in 15 starts danny tamayo was a senior number two pitcher went 10 and 1 alec porzell was our starting shortstop and our three-hole hitter as a senior that team, was, that team was phenomenal mm-hmm. all year. And then we had two injuries right before the, the regional. Steve Solman got hit by a pitch at the Big East Tournament, broke his hand, right. and Chris Billmeyer had, a, had a, a nerve problem with, you know, down his leg, and he, and he couldn't play for about two or three weeks. Our kids played so courageously in that regional tournament the year before, and when we got upset in the finals, by, like you said, we had the tying run at third, um, and Florida International beat us. I'm telling you, I was so distraught after the game and after you know the season ended because I thought that was the best team we'd ever had. And I just remember, you know, driving into my driveway two days later, and my phone rang and it was my college coach Ron Maestri, and and he gave me the most encouraging words. Uh, he was my coach at the University of New Orleans, and he said, you know, in 1979, that was when I was a senior in college. We had a great team at UNO, and we lost in the regional at Mississippi State, ironically. And I remember Ron May Street being so down in the dumps, and he called me, and he said, you know, when we lost in 1979, he said, I thought I'd never take a team to Omaha because that was the best team I'd ever had. He said, but a few years later, 1984, we went to Omaha with a team not quite as good as, as the 79 team. And then he told me, he says, you're going to go to Omaha when people least expect it. <laughs> Well, the next year, the next year, you know, we had three of our four starting pitchers were freshmen. Grant Johnson, Chris Neisel, and John Axford were right. all freshmen. Pete Olsby was the only upperclassman in our rotation. And, and those kids, because of how quickly they came along as freshmen, Brian O'Connor was our pitching coach, did a phenomenal job with those guys. But, but the, the core of our position player team, Stanley and O'Toole, and Kenny Meyer and Solman and all those guys that I have already mentioned, Paulo Tool, they they had such determination and such confidence in themselves that even when we started out nine and ten, they realized it was because 
we had had so many injuries. And once those guys came back and were healthy, they knew that we had a great team. And we just took it one day at a time, and including the two losses in Omaha. Like I said, we went 41-8 and eight the rest of the way. I mean, we played great baseball for a long period of time. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, that you know, like thinking about – I was thinking about this, that pitching that you just mentioned, those guys on the staff, Niesel and, and Grant Johnson, were two really good – freshman that year but like Niesel missed a good chunk of the season with mono so he was out for a while JP Gagne starts the season kind of as a midweek starter he ends up being your closer with that big change up at the end of the year and through the whole thing you know like you've got the conference player of the year and Steve Stanley position players and a couple other guys who made all conference you had no all conference pitchers even on a team that ends up in Omaha that's just amazing to me well, I, I vividly remember making that decision to move Ganya from starting rotation into the bullpen, and we were able to do that because of Niesel's uh, returning to health after mono. JP's last start, he pitched a complete game, two to one victory over BYU, and he was outstanding. Yeah. And after you know, a couple of days after the game, I brought him into the office and I said, JP, you're you're pitching great, and I said the missing thing that we need for this team is to have somebody that can close games. We can't win a championship without having a closer. And you, with that great changeup, you have the best chance because you're composed, you're poised, you're a competitor, you're confident, and you've got an out pitch. And I said, I really want to move you to the closer's role. And, of course, JP being the most unselfish kid you can imagine, he was all in for it. Well, how did, how did we go to Omaha, Sean? You remember those calls, the ninth <laughs> inning against Florida State, 3-1 right. to one lead. And oh um, we, we go out to the field. Hey, listen, we're going out to the field. We're three outs away from going to Omaha. Man, I'm in the dugout. My hands are sweating. I'm pacing in the dugout, and I can't even hardly watch because, you know, I'm so nervous about it. And I look up as JP throws the first pitch to the first batter of the ninth inning. I look up just as he's delivering the pitch. And it's about 92 on the knees uh, on the corner. And I thought to myself, hey, this could be good. This ninth <laughs> inning could be really good. And then, of course, JP struck out the side. It, it took about five minutes, thank God. I don't think I would have survived. It took five minutes from to strike out the side and send us to Omaha. And what a moment that was for everybody. I mean, he was amazing in Tallahassee when you sit back and, and think about it. He In, in the first win, in the, in the opening win, well, for – for one, Florida State had won 25 in a row, and as you said, they're ranked number one in the country going in. And he ends up, what, a three-inning save <laughs> where he retires nine in a row, and then he, he, he just mows them down in the, in the decider, one, two, three, to go to Omaha in the deciding game, in game three as well. Well, that first game, as you mentioned, uh, I, I'll never forget, you know, we had won the regional. Back then, they didn't have the bracket set up in advance. Right. So they reshuffled the deck after the Super Regionals, and, and the number one seed was Florida State, and they matched us up against them. So was, they must have assumed we were the 16th seed, right? Right. And, um, and so when I, I got word that we were going to Florida State, I remember meeting with the team in the, in the uh, locker room, and they're all sitting on their stools in front of the locker room, and I'm pacing in front of them, and I said, no, this is a good deal. We're going to Florida State. We're going to play uh, Tallahassee. We're going to Tallahassee to play Florida State. They're the number one team in the country. They've won 25 in a row. They won the regular season. They won the tournament title. You know, they ha- they didn't go to Omaha last year, and they hadn't been uh, there hadn't been two consecutive years of them not going to Omaha since like 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier, right? So I looked them up, looked at them all in the eye, and I said seems to me we got them right where we want them <laughs> and everybody smiled and I said we're going to go down there and we're going to whip these guys and I'll tell you why we're going to whip them because we're better than they are and I really believed in my heart that we were a better team so when we went down there in that first game and they're you know they, they, they were unbeatable and, and we go out and Stavisky had a two-run homer in the first inning we jumped out to a four five nothing lead they came back and tied the game and then we exploded, and I think we, we, we scored uh, six or so an, unanswered runs. I think we were up like 11 to 5. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, J.P. pitched three great uh, innings, you know. And uh, I, I'll tell you, after the game, I was meeting with the media, and, you know, I try to be friendly with the media and very respectful. And somebody asked the question, you know, about, you know, 
what an upset this game was. I remember slapping my hand on the table and saying, hey, this was no upset. We came here <laughs> expecting to win. And I got up and walked out. <laughs> and the people were like, stud. <laughs> and I'll tell you, if it didn't rain the next day, I think we would have beaten them the next day. But uh, we had to, they got a day to kind of regroup. Right. They, they barely beat us, even though they, they, they got a lot of hits in the, on the, you know, the, the, the second game on Sunday. But then we went out and beat them on Monday, three to one. And I remember after the game meeting with the media, and one of the reporters asked, uh, "You know, are you surprised that your team could come down here and beat this great Florida State team two out of three games?" And you remember what I said? I said, "Yeah, I'm really surprised. I honestly thought we were going to win it two straight." That's right. <laughs> I was pretty cocky back then. Those guys didn't know what to think. This little old Northern Notre Dame team coming down there, Tallahassee, uh, just completely, you know, obviously uh, disrupting everything in their world. That that Stavisky home run you talked about, Paul, he hits it over. They they essentially have like a green monster type, you know, wall in right. It was in right field instead of left field. And right. it was just a gargantuan shot, as you obviously know. How much do you and think that to- set the tone for the weekend? Oh, they – and behind that, they had a circus across the That's street, right. remember? That's right. I mean, that was into the circus. Oh, when he hit that ball, well, Stanley, I think, led off the game with a base hit, and then Solman lined one out, I think, at the wall, and they were lucky that that wasn't a home runner off the wall. Uh, remember, Solman had gone six for seven with seven RBIs against South Alabama and hit two home runs, and he smoked one in there. Center fitter was lucky to have caught it in the gap. And then Stavisky gets up and hits one about 450 feet. And I just think we, we set the tone right then and there that, hey, we came down here to play baseball. We're not, we're not down here, you know, in awe of anybody. And, uh, oh, it was just – I had such great confidence in our players, Sean, like, because, as you said, that it was a culmination of a period of time. And we had had – you know, we had played great the two years before in the regionals. Played, I was so proud of the team, even though we didn't win the regionals. They had played so great, and I felt so bad for them. And I knew that they were coming back for that last year with such determination to get over the hump, and, and we did. Well, and I played those highlights of that elimination game against Rice in Omaha, and Brian Stavisky ends up with a walk-off home run. You, you've got you start at the bottom of the order. You got Joe Thaman leading off, and then you go to the top. Stanley Solman, mm-hmm. Stavisky. You're down a run. Obviously, do you remember anything you were you were thinking? Anything you were saying oh. before that ninth inning? Sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember everything. <laughs> I remember how it feels. I remember every pitch. You know, Joe, Joe uh, Thaman led off, and he and they were facing this left-hander Crowder from Rice, who had mm-hmm. not given up a run in all of the postseason between their conference tournament, regional, super regional, and now we're in the World Series. And they had just lost 2-1 to one to Texas in the first game, and Crowder had not pitched, and they were saving, they were saving Crowder, okay? So we, the game started. They pitched Philip Humber against us, who also was a first-round draft choice, yep. and we scratched a couple of runs against him. And, uh, you know, uh, but we were losing going to the ninth inning. Crowder had been in the game for three or four innings, and he was carving us up with all our left-handed hitters. And he faced Thaman, who was left-handed, the first batter. He popped up the first. And then Stanley's up, another left-handed hitter. And uh, the count goes 3-0, and and I gave Steve Stanley a take sign. And then on 3-1, I gave him another take sign. And Crowder popped two strikes right in there. Well, Stanley steps out of the batter's box, restraps his batting gloves, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be really good. You know, this is going to be a great battle between Stanley and this really outstanding pitcher. And I think Stanley fouled off three or four balls on full count, mm-hmm. and then he hit one right into the – pierced the wind right in the, in the, uh, the gap between, right, uh, between the right fielder and center fielder. And I'm waving Stanley. Of course, there's one out. If we can get him to third base, he's coming around second, and I'm waving him to third. Sean, I'm making – deals with God that if you just let Stanley be safe at third base, I promise I'll never ask for anything ever again. <laughs> so he slides into third base safely. I give him a big hug. And then I remember saying to Steve at third base, I said, okay, Solman's up. I said, there's not a person that I would rather be up right now than Steve Solman, except yep. for you, of course, the guy standing at third base. <laughs> That's right. And Sol- Solman lines the base, set up the middle to tie the game. 
and then Stavisky comes up, and the wind's blowing in from right field, and, and he just smokes one against the mm-hmm. wind into the stands, and I just I just went numb. You know, I was so happy for our players to – it's one thing to get to Omaha. It's another thing to actually win a game when you get there. Right. And, uh, and then the next night, you know, we came back to play Stanford again, and I just thought our players were so ready to play. And we gave up a wind-blown home run in the first inning to Sam Fold from Stanford, and we just never quite could get over the hump, and we lost a heartbreaking game to them. We were behind the whole game by a run. Every time we'd score, they'd score again, and, and we ended up losing the close game. But I was just so proud of that team. And I told them, you know, what I think at our fifth, fifth reunion, five-year reunion, you know, I'm not at, now at LSU, but it, I don't care how many championships we win or how many times we go to Omaha at LSU, the most special thing in my career will always be taking the Notre Dame Fighting Irish to, to the College World Series in 2002. That's Paul Maneri, former Notre Dame baseball coach, who again led Notre Dame to the 2002 College World Series 20-year anniversary, and they're going to be uh, doing their uh, 20-year reunion coming up at the end of this month when Notre Dame hosts Boston College out at Frank X Stadium. A lot of different stuff going on with that. We'll be talking to some other members of that 2002 College World Series team here on Sportsbeat, both leading up to that anniversary and leading up to the uh, actual anniversary in June as well. So looking forward to uh, sharing some more of those memories of that 2002 Notre Dame College World Series team. We'll take a timeout when we come back. Jim Irizarry is with me. He's got your five weekend props coming up on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. This is the My Five Question of the Day. Can you dig it? On Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. The birthday boy is with us. Yes. Jim Irizarry here to make some uh, sports wagering picks for us this weekend. Happy birthday, first of all. Thank you. <laughs> Doing double duty once again, filling in for Darren this morning. Let's uh, let's just get right to it. Your your five bets, sports wagering bets for the weekend. What's that number five for you? Well, just in case you were wondering, by the way, yes, I'm a glutton for punishment by doing both. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we can so, tell that. Right. Uh, first off, uh, Masters are next weekend, if you can believe that. Uh, so get some Masters bets in early. Yeah. Uh, Tiger Woods John, is going to play. Yeah, Tiger's going to play, amazingly Says Charlie. Enough. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, John Rahm, the favorite at uh, at nine to one. Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, and Justin Thomas are all at twelve to one. Uh, Rory, Dustin Johnson, fourteen to one. Uh, the defending champ Hideki Matsuyama is twenty eight to one. He's out this week at the Texas Open with a neck injury. Don't know what that's uh, what that's going to do. You know, as far as uh, as far as next week goes, but for this week at least, he's out. Uh, He's uh, trying to become the first golfer since Tiger in 2001 and 2002 to win back-to-back Masters. So, you know, there's that too. Okay. You know, 28 to one. Uh, Tiger listed at 60 to one. Hmm. So, yeah, of course uh, he he uh, he last won it back in uh, back in 2019. Yeah, so. and the last time he played was at the Masters in 2020 when it was in November because of the pandemic. So. Right. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Okay. All right. Some so some good uh good starts there. Masters, man, it's coming up. One week from now. All right. So what's your number four then? All right. Let's go NBA here. Minnesota at Denver. Nine o'clock tonight. Big game between the Nuggets and the Timberwolves. Uh they're separated by three games in the West. Timberwolves want to keep their faint hopes of avoiding the play the uh, the play in tournament. So they, you know, got to win this one. Uh, they've not been good on the road, though. <laughs> 18 and 21 on the road Ouch. compared to 25 and 13 at home. Add in the Nuggets having won four of their last five. I think the Timberwolves just get yet another loss on the road. I like Denver minus two and a half. Okay. All right. So Denver tonight in the NBA. Let's go to number three. Uh, NHL action. St. Louis at Edmonton. I like Edmonton straight up. Great matchup. Blues certainly capable of winning. Edmonton, though, just on an eight-game winning streak. Franchise record is nine. Uh, Connor McDavid has scored in back-to-back games, has eight goals in his last 11 games. 
Yikes. Uh, <laughs> Oilers and Blues are averaging Fire. the uh, right. They're averaging the third, first and third most goals per game since March 10th, which is hmm. insane. No kidding. Uh, Oilers at uh, over four and a half. Blues almost at four. So, I mean, just, you know, 4.7, 3.9. So. So, but, all right. Uh, I like Edmonton straight up. Uh, they're uh, minus 151 on the uh, on the money line there. All right. So we've got a golf wager. We've got an NBA wager. We've got an NHL wager. Are we going to have like an ultimate frisbee wager coming up here at, at number two. What, what's at what's at number two now? We we can. <laughs> I, I I can find one real quick if you want me to. <laughs> I bet you. But could. Uh, you know, amazingly enough, going to keep it with the uh, with the big thing that's happening this weekend. Of course, the final four. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Villanova versus Kansas. I know. Uh, I know you're rooting hard for Kansas. I like Villanova in the points, though. Uh, if uh, if Justin Moore didn't tear his Achilles in the regional final, this probably would have been like Villanova minus one or even a pick'em. Uh, that's based on for sure winning its last nine. And I mean, it's covering all four of their tournament yeah. games. So yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. They've hit free throw eighty-two and a half percent from the line, which is crazy. Like, they've done that. That's their season percentage right there for wow. free throws, 82 and a half. That's nuts. Uh, but like I said, you know, losing more like that. And by the way, did yes. they decide to call it, <laughs> did they decide to, like, say, you know, hey, we've had enough of the, uh, of his, you know, showing his Achilles rupturing, uh, you know, after, say, six replays? Because I'm pretty yeah, sure that's how many times we saw it. I know. So it's pretty sad. Uh, yeah, Villanova plus four. Okay, on, uh, so you like Villanova that. plus four yeah. on uh-huh. that one. All right, so I'm I'm guessing we've got a Duke Carolina bet at the top of your heap here. Yes, we do. Uh, UNC plus four here too. Uh, both these teams have won four straight since losing to Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament. North Carolina's covered all four. Duke three and one against the spread. So. Hey, spread's good between these two teams. Uh, they split during the regular season. They, you know, won on each other's home court, of course. Uh, both of those wins aided by a substantial edge by the winner in free throw attempts. So whoever got more, you know, more chances at the line, they were the winner. Uh, Carolina's won 16 of its last 19, though. So mm. I took the uh, the points with the heels. And a little bit of a bonus, if you want. Okay. You could go. Uh, you could take the over on the point total. The uh, last six meetings between Duke and North Carolina have gone over. Uh, both like a, you know, they like a fast pace. About six points worth of value right there, just just from the pace alone. Yeah, and I think it's at uh, like what one fifty five or something like that. Uh, I had seen it at one fifty one even. Ooh, so if you okay. Could still find that. Uh, I'm gonna just say because that I'll, one, I I took the over on the Kansas Villanova game, which is like 133 is what I got it at, and I'm I'm kind of, I don't know, I I still kind of like it because I'm unlike you, I, I just the way I think the game is gonna go, I I I, mm-hmm. I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'll uh, I'll I'll look into that. Look into that number real quick, but um, all right. Well, we got to wrap uh, it up because see. we've we've got an abbreviated <laughs> right. six o'clock hour here, and I got a bunch of spots I got to get in. So. Ah, okay. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> not to cut you off, best. but yeah, that's yeah. the way. Tar Heels, seventy-one points a game. Blue Devils are averaging eighty points a game. So okay, I mean, you know, just do the math right there. So. Yep. There you go. All right. Sounds good. Well, enjoy your birthday, Jim. Don't uh, don't Thank get you. too crazy this weekend, uh, and uh, we will talk to you next week. No promises. All right. Jim Irizarry with uh, the My Five and some sports wagering. Vince D'Addario is going to join me for Rapid Fire coming up in the 6 o'clock hour on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. You're listening to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat with Sean Styers On Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Who wants to have some? Rapid Fire starts now on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. And now your host, Sean Styers. Along with Vince D'Addario tonight, sliding in and getting ready. He's got his 
South Bend Riley baseball. Is it a season opener? It's it's not a scrimmage well, tomorrow, right? It wasn't supposed to be a season opener, but after two cancellations, it is a season opener. You're <laughs> supposed to play Tuesday and Thursday, and both of those games got banged. Right. So it is now a season opener. Great Henry weather this week weather. in the area. Yeah, oh, I mean, we just had snow brutal. on the ground this morning. So happy yeah. baseball. <laughs> I woke up this morning just seriously depressed. I was I like, you have you did. got to be kidding I me. I got about it, and I looked out the window, and I'm like, are you bleeping me? <laughs> Are you bleeping me? (laughs) Oh, I was so depressed. How is this real? All right. Yes, Mother Nature just pulling April Fools on us this morning. Yeah, exactly right. Lovely, lovely. There's there's something that just came across, and you Uh probably have not seen this. Probably not. I'm going to read it to you. This is interesting. So Michigan is actually holding its um, spring game tomorrow. They're already playing their spring game. Oh, Tomorrow, So I don't know uh, like when they started their practices, but at halftime of Michigan's spring game tomorrow, free agent quarterback Colin Kaepernick will hold an exhibition throwing event with some draft eligible players at Michigan tomorrow. NFL club personnel in attendance are permitted to watch the event. This is from Field Yates from ESPN tweeted this um, within about the last hour. What do you think about that? Um, I, I did see previously that he's like an honorary captain or whatever for Michigan. I'm, uh, is there a connection that I'm missing as to, oh, well, Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He played, he played for Harbaugh at San Francisco. Yeah. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I I remember that he, (laughs) (laughs) um, I, I just, there was some video out there of him throwing recently i don't know if you saw it or not um it was kind of like a a pro day type thing and he was throwing to some receivers and things like that i haven't seen the video but i knew he was doing that yeah it was not great i mean to for an nfl quarterback there the throws were not accurate at all um and and now they were all like um red zone type throws you know into the end zone things like that but it was not accurate in any way. Um, I, I think this is ridiculous. Why is a college trying to prop him up at halftime of the of their spring game? Well, because of what you talked about, you know, the Harbaugh connection. They're they're basically yeah, trying to throw. I you know, just... Harbaugh's trying to throw him a bone and and help him out. I mean, it's like the guy hasn't played in six years, and right. you know, Let there's there's just so much attached to him now. He's 34 years old. He hasn't played in six years. This. It's not happening, you know. No. It's just it's it's not happening at this point. And you know, I realize, and I do agree with you know with with the sentiment. You know, Colin Kaepernick got banned for kneeling, and Deshaun Watson did whatever he allegedly sure, yeah. did, and he's got the biggest contract in you know NFL history. So I just people can disagree with me, you know, on that if they want. Again. As you know, I'm an Army veteran, and, you know, so, you know, we can – I realize the flag gets thrown in there, and, you know, it it literally fans the flames on everybody, but it is what it is. I think well, it's just time for Colin Kaepernick to move on, you know. Well, and here's the thing. If – the, the difference – and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like, it, it, it's hypocrisy um, if we're talking about the off-the-field things between those two. Right. right. That That's plain and simple. The bottom line is, if Colin Kaepernick could start in the NFL, somebody would have picked him up. Yeah, uh, that, it would have it would have happened by now, you know. Exactly. You know, and regardless of of the kneeling and all of that, I realize that gave him a you know a, a, a dark cloud over him and all of that, right? Well, Deshaun Watson sat out for a year because of everything that was going on with him. Yeah. And he was still got a huge contract because he can st- he's still an elite quarterback. And Colin Kaepernick was never an elite quarterback. And if he was. I guarantee you he would have found a job someplace. Well, he wasn't an elite some, quarterback. He did get a team well, exactly. to a Super Bowl. But, <laughs> but some owner some owner who doesn't care about morals or whatever, you know, anything that other people think about, right? Yeah. He, he doesn't care about that. And I mean, he's signing them. Even from, you know, even from his side, just that whole saga just took so many twists and turns. Did he it really did. want to play? Did he not? You know, was he, you know... You know Nike and you know just everything else. Oh, yeah. And at, at this point in time, just where we are right now, because anything yes. that, you know, anything that happened within the the, the first couple of years, there was definitely a lot of literal politics involved. But where oh, we are yeah. right now, you're six years removed from playing. You're 34 years old. It's just it's not going to happen. 
you know, right. time to Just move on. Move on. It's time okay. You on. can be the honorary captain, go out there for the coin toss and all of that. But I guarantee you, we're going to all see the video of halftime and we're all going to come away unimpressed. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. Yep. All right. So we've got the final four this weekend, Kansas, Villanova, North Carolina, and Duke. I'm going to read a list of notable alums from each of the four schools, and I want oh, you wow. to tell me which school has the best list, okay? Okay. Now, the, these are partial lists, but they're some of the more notable people in each school's history. Okay, so Kansas, you've got actor-comedian Paul Rudd, actor-comedian Rob Riggle, actor Don Johnson, actor Scott Bakula from you and I's one of our favorite shows, Quantum Leap. You've got Gail Sayers, you've got Wilt Chamberlain, and you've got Dean Smith, the uh, eventual North Carolina coach and alum of the University of Kansas. So that's Kansas. For North Carolina, Andy Griffith, Michael Jordan, Mia Hamm, Lawrence Taylor, Roy Williams, who of course coached both Kansas and North Carolina, President James K. Polk, and former ESPN, the late Stuart Scott, former ESPN anchor Stuart Scott. So that's North Carolina. Now, Duke, you've got Ken Young, uh, actor <laughs> notably from The Hangover, you know, did some TV series and stuff like that. Isn't he? He's an actual doctor, too. Like, yes, he in is. Real life. Yeah, yeah, he went to Duke, became a doctor, and then left <laughs> the medical profession to become an actor. To be a comedy actor. Um, okay. Jay Billis, of course, from ESPN, who played there. Christian Leitner, who played there. President Richard Nixon, a Duke alum. And current NBA commissioner Adam Silver, a Duke huh. alum as well. I did not know that okay. until I looked this list up today. Villanova, Bradley Cooper, huh. Howie Long, former Chicago Cub Matt Caesar, First Lady Jill Biden, and Dante DiVincenzo. I talked about this in the first hour. Who is the most famous Villanova basketball player? I'm not sure because... <laughs> For as good as their program is, it's like, yeah. you know, there aren't a lot of... Yeah. So that's the Villanova list. So which of those four, which has the best list of famous alums? Well, it's interesting because Villanova is a distant third or fourth for Yes, me. So I think so can, too. I, I think we can just say that. Mm -hmm. If we're talking strictly athletes, then I think North Carolina would get the nod. Probably so. Or not. Yeah. We're talking all, all around, right? Yeah. I... I know this sounds like I'm kissing the butt of the anchor here, or the, the, the host, but it's Kansas. But you're a big Scott Bakula fan. You know, I'm a so. huge Scott Bakula By the fan. way, by the way, Scott Bakula and I share the same sure. birthday, October 9th. Oh, yeah. I, was gonna say, I thought you were going to say you knew him. Because I, was I, say, wish. You held, I wish. How have you held out on me for this long? <laughs> when I was at the University of Kansas, that's when Quantum Leap was big when I was oh, watching Scott okay. Bakula on Quantum Leap, and I had no idea he was from Kansas. I had no idea he was a Kansas alum. Yeah. But that makes sense because, oh, well, no, he was Indiana was his hometown in that one. But um, Ah, that's but anyway, right. That's right. Regardless, I, I mean, I'm also a big fan of Paul Rudd. I do enjoy his work. Yep. Um, and, and Rob Riggle is a uh, – he's an acquired taste, I would say, but he still makes me laugh. Funny I, I'm guy. A huge, yep. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Gail Sayers. He's got a place around here. So he was a member at the country club I used to work at when I was a kid. So being able to carry Gail Sayers' clubs around and, you know, clean his clubs, I was like in awe. <laughs> he had, his bag just had a big number 40 on it. I bet it, it was did. like, okay, you're cool, man. Like, all right. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you throw in Wilt the Stilt and Dean Smith. Like, I'm sorry, it's Kansas, and I don't think it's all that close. It's a pretty impressive list, and I like you. Villanova, I was really disappointed in yeah. the Villanova list. I, I'm thinking, sure, you know, Bradley Cooper and, you know, Howie Long I knew. Sure. Um, but, like, the fact that what's essentially a basketball school, the, the fact that a football player and Bradley <laughs> Cooper are probably the two most famous people to come from there, again, it eliminates Villanova from anyone's list of yes. blue bloods. You know, Absolutely. So I'm sorry, but, you know, Dante DiVincenzo or Josh Hart compared to Christian Leitner, Michael Jordan, Wilt Chamberlain, you know, it's right. not to it, mention it's, Dean Smith and Roy Williams going to exactly. the other schools. So, yeah, it's really close between Carolina and Kansas for me. But, like, I'm a big Paul Rudd fan myself. You know, I, I still yes. always remember Rob Riggle. You know, fun fact, actually interviewed Vince's brother back in the day when, when he was serving in Iraq. That was pretty cool on The Daily Show. Not really. Um, 
Uh, you know, and then Scott Bakula and Don Johnson. And, you know, there are others as well, like Kirstie Alley, Dean Smith, you know. Ooh, so yeah, okay. I, I love Paul Rudd. I mean, he's kind of like an every guy. Like, that's how I feel about Paul Rudd. Like, I could see – Yeah. Like, you could see yourself in Paul Rudd. Like, that's – that, that's how I feel about him. So he, and he's funny, man. I, I think he's hilarious. Yep, just kind of a funny, funny dude. A lot of good stuff. So, yep, yep. I've I've got to lean that way as well. It's really close between Carolina and Kansas, but yes, I agree. And, because again, you know, Carolina has the the sports figures. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about Jordan and Mia Hamm and Lawrence Taylor, you've got the best basketball player of all time. You've yeah, got the best female soccer player of all time, and arguably the best football player of yeah. all time. That's hard to beat. I, that's really hard to beat. Yeah, but when you th- when you mix in, you know, like the pop culture yep. and the actors and stuff, you know, because like Duke, if you took basketball out of the equation, their list is pretty unimpressive, <laughs> really as well. You know, <laughs> but true. obviously they've got a lot of great basketball players who have come from there. So I had no idea that Nixon went to Duke. I didn't either until I, I was looking no this idea. stuff up earlier huh. today. So yeah, I mean, Duke and Carolina each have a former yeah. president. So pretty cool. All right, as to the games, Kansas. All right. This is according to the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Kansas minus four and a half against Villanova, Duke minus four against Carolina. Who you got in those two games? Well, it's interesting because I was listening to you to you and Jim uh, on the way home, and I, I like to throw the parlay in there when you guys are talking. I did it last time, and it Ooh. missed by one. Okay. It missed by one game. This time, I went with uh, the first two picks with Jim, right? I think it was the NHL and the NBA because, okay, why not? But then they got to the Final Four, and he took the underdogs on both, and he took the points. Yeah. And I went the opposite way on both. I I feel like Kansas is going to win this thing, potentially going away, and I just feel like right now, in this moment, Duke is the better coach team. Even though North Carolina is a little hotter, I feel like Duke is a better coach team. I think they've got more talent all around. I think they win by more than four. So I took the two favorites minus the points. Yeah, that's uh, in both of these. I like them both as well. And I think that that Kansas Villanova game, I think, I think it's going to grind for a half, kind of like Kansas and Miami did last week. And I think that ultimately, because of of the depth and better athletes that Kansas has, you know, they'll kind of pull away. It, you know, it, yep. it'll it'll take them some time, but I think they're going to pull away late um and and Duke Carolina that is so hard to pick because they are both playing you know really well and both really hot right now and obviously North Carolina got the better of them the last time but I I like Duke as well you know given given those four points so I'm I'm well, like and, you I like both the favorites yeah. and I know they split the season series and all these things but mm-hmm. the bitter taste that that last game at Cameron Indoor had uh for coach k and i'm sure that he parlayed that into his coaching and it comes up every now and again they had that huge ceremony for him and everything after a loss like that (laughs) that grinds your gears man you can tell that he was ticked off and i would be shocked shocked if they lost this game just because of that you know what i mean right it was not it was just awkward is what it was um at the end of that game so I, I feel like Duke is going to win this one by more than four. The combined point total of the two games is it's over under 285 and a half points for the two games. Basically, the Kansas over under is 133. The, uh, the Kansas Villanova over under. The Duke Carolina is 151. So you've got 285 and a half for the total points of the two games. What do you think about that one? <sighs> So you combine them. That's interesting. I've never. Uh, yeah, and this I've is a fan. This yeah, this is a FanDuel wager. The combined point totals of the two semifinal games over under two hundred eighty-five and a half points. I would take the over. Um, I think that the Duke North Carolina game is going to be high scoring, and I did take the over. I did take Jim's advice on that one. I did take the over of one fifty-one. Uh, 133 seems a little low. I know you said it's going to be grind out, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I just always feel like in these games, they, they end up with a lot of points towards the end. That's what um, I think, too, for that so one. So I'm taking yeah. the over, um, the combined over. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, again, Villanova's really good defensively, and they're going to be physical, but I, I just feel like that game, you know, like the, the points will start chasing a little bit toward the end of the game and I think it'll end up going over so I, I like the over for for the two combined as well over 285 
and a half. Um, let me see what else I've got. We got the women's games tonight. Carolina's minus eight against Louisville. The uh, the uh, heavy favorite, Stanford minus one and a half against UConn. Do you have a lean in either direction on the women's games tonight? Ooh, you know, I I I just I don't like UConn, so I think that that's a, <laughs> a a fair bet for me. I would vote. I would I would bet with my heart on that one. So I would take. Stanford minus the one and a half, uh, even though that's basically a pick 'em for the most part. Yeah. Uh, but a, a minus eight in a Final Four game, man. Holy moly! But I know South Carolina is really, really good this year. They are, and they like to score a lot of points. And so I would probably take the two favorites in this one as well. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm pretty much the same. I, it's it's tougher with that Stanford UConn game, but Stanford is a really good defensive team, so I, I've got to take both South Carolina and Stanford in those games. Vince, enjoyed it as always. Good luck at your game tomorrow, and I'll talk to you next week. All righty, sir. I will talk to you later. Sounds good. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. We are brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Midland Engineering Company, Tim Grouse State Farm Insurance, Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, the Mishawaka Education Foundation, and Wings Etc. Grill and Pub. We've got the women's Final Four coverage coming up from Minneapolis next on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local off-site backup storage solution. Contact us today. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com.